You are listening to Feast Radio, bringing God's love and grace on air. Listen to significant and heartfelt messages you can reflect on and pray about. May this message help prepare you to face challenges, follow your dreams, and open yourself up to God's unlimited blessings. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You are good. We love you. We praise you. We honor you today. Uh, are you happy to be here? Can you tell somebody beside you? It's so good that you're here. So much joy in the room. I want to thank everybody for coming out. Why don't you give a big hand to one another for being here? We want to greet, of course, everybody also online. Why don't you also give yourself a big hand? Thank you for joining us here. You, welcome to the happiest place here on earth. Welcome to the feast. How many people are here for the very first time in Barcelona Academy? FBA, Feast Barcelona. Let's clap our hands for all our first timers. And hey, if you're joining us for the first time also at the feast, we want to welcome you. Why don't you give us a virtual hands up and let us know who you are. All the people who are here, we want you to be to welcome all our newcomers. Just somebody type in the chat box, welcome home. The feast is a family. Did you know that? The feast is a family that you are not born into, but it's a family that you belong to, that you become a part of. So why don't you tell somebody right now, welcome home. Come on, let's fill this place with love right now. It's an honor to be in front of you today. My name is Brother Audie Villaraza, in case we haven't met. And it's my joy and my privilege, together with Brother Bo Sanchez, to serve you today. I want to thank our music ministry. Why don't you give them a big hand for passionately and, and powerfully leading us into the presence of God. Hey, by the way, if some of you want to sign up to serve in our music ministry, we got some openings. So if, if you have a talent that you've been hiding, can you tell somebody beside you, wag mong itago ang talento mo. Come on, ilabas mo ang talent mo. If you are somebody that God might be calling you to serve in our music ministry, please contact Kath Kabatbat. She is our music ministry head. So it's time for you to step out into the light and serve us in the music ministry if you have a talent to sing, okay? I'm speaking this to Trina in the backstage in the tech team. You, you, you listen to me, Trina. You better sign up, all right? All right? Trina has been serving in all of our different ministries everywhere. By the way, can you clap our, your hands for all the servants of the feast? Serving us so tirelessly, so relentlessly, even during the pandemic. You know, we, we've got so many ministry members who have been giving their time, talent, and treasure. And we're just grateful for them. When you see a servant around you here today, why don't you just tell them thank you, all right? Let's be in a culture of gratitude and a culture of honor here in our community, all right? Anyway, we got a long talk for today, so I'm not going to delay it any further. I want you to join me. We are in talk number seven, and here's the title of our talk today. It's very interesting, so I want you to pay attention. It's called crucified. Can you say that word with me? Crucified. We're going to have a fun time today, so I hope that you came ready. If you are sitting right now comfortably in your chair at home, in the office, in your commute, although except if you're in your commute, can I invite you to stand up and I want you to join me as we give honor to God and as we declare God's abundance over our life as we come. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Everybody stretch your hands like this. Come on, stretch it out. And then say this with me, today I receive all of God's love for me. Today I open myself to the unbounded, limitless, overflowing abundance of God's universe. Today I open myself to God's blessings, healing, and miracles. Today I open myself to God's Word so that I become more like Jesus every day. Today I proclaim that I'm God's beloved, I am God's servant, and I'm God's powerful champion. I want you to say this out loud. And because I am blessed, I am blessing the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody, stretch your hands out. Let's sing. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
open your hearts to the ways that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you loud and clear today. I'm going to let you stand for just a little bit, but don't worry. I'm going to read the verse right away so that you can stay comfortable in your seats. But hey, you know what? Let me give you our big message before we begin. Here's the big message. And I want you to preach this to the person beside you. Say to somebody right now, God wants to love through you. Amen. Type it in the chat box if you want to preach that to somebody today. Isn't it amazing? We have been studying the book of Matthew for over two years, is it, Brother Bo? A little over two years. And, and through the pandemic, we have been studying the verse of Matthew verse by verse, line by line. And it's certainly a blessing us. Are you blessed by the gospel of Matthew? Thank you, St. Matthew, for enriching our walk with Jesus. Somebody say, thank you, St. Matthew. And you know what better way for us to culminate this series, to end this whole series by talking about something so relevant right now. We're going to revisit in the next few weeks the death of Jesus. As we're about to end the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to go in and journey with Jesus step by step towards Calvary. But you know, one thing that I got to say is that nothing happens by accident in God's kingdom. Everything is is. It's divinely appointed by God. God orchestrates the blessings that He gives into your life. And so, in good godly timing, you know, Holy Week is just around the corner. So there's no accident in God's kingdom. We're talking about the death of Jesus and then Holy Week comes. We get to experience and encounter Jesus suffering, Jesus giving His life. And speaking of Holy Week, just a little quick sharing. I remember when I was in my teenager years, about 10 years ago, um, no? No? Okay, 15 years ago. That, that, that sounds better, right? So I remember when I was a teenager, I loved Holy Week. How many of you love Holy Week? Raise your hand. You love Holy Week? The reason why I love Holy Week is because of the station of the cross. I lived in a small town in Taitai Rizal and uh, we had a very old school, traditional Catholic. Our station of the cross meant that we would go around every house. In the middle of the hot day, we would pray in every house, each station. And then it would be followed by what we call a pabasa. You know what pabasa is? If you don't know what that is, you can ask your elders, aka your parents, what a pabasa is. It's still happening right now. And so we, we would, it would be followed by a pabasa from Friday 3 p.m. all the way to Saturday 3 p.m. We would be singing the psalms in Tagalog and it was amazing. But, you know, before some of you might say, wow. Religious mo pala, brother Odi, bata pala. Before you say that, listen to me. I loved Holy Week when I was young, but not because I was religious. In fact, far from it. When I was younger, I was not religious. Like, like you know, I, I wasn't close to the Lord, but the reason why I loved Holy Week is because of that station in the cross. Because the station of the cross meant that everybody in the village would be joining that thing and also my crush. And because... It was one of the hottest days of the year. Like you're standing on the surface of the sun. My crush would be wearing sh shorts. Okay, okay, I'm going to stop now. There are kids here in the, in the audience. All right. There's some minors here. There's Nikki Yokinko there listening here. Uh, but don't worry. We also got our awesome kids ministry head. Tita Rita is here also. So it's, it's strange when you're young to experience Holy Week. Because there are a lot of things that you don't understand. Like for instance, there are a lot of things that you cannot do. You can't watch action movies, comedies, romance. At least in my family, okay? The only thing that we were allowed to watch was a rerun of the never-ending Ten Commandments. You remember that film? The old film by Cecile B. DeMille. It takes 16 hours of your whole day just to watch that whole thing. It's, it's like it's, it goes on and on. You couldn't go out. You couldn't go biking. You couldn't, you couldn't play basketball. You couldn't go swimming. You couldn't go skateboarding. Now, nowadays, it's a little bit different. People go out to, to the beach. They go out of town. You know, it's different. But back in my day, we weren't even allowed to eat good food. And when you're a kid, it's, it's like your parents are, are, are like, you cannot have fun because Jesus is suffering. So you need to suffer too. And as a kid, you, you struggle understanding that. You know, but there is one question that we all ask. And this is a question that I believe some of you might still be asking now. And... This is our goal for today. At the end of the session, we hope to be able to answer this question. Why did Jesus die for me? Why did Jesus suffer for you? That's a question we want to ask. And hopefully with the reading that we're going to study today in the book of Matthew chapter 27, I want you to 
read this with me with fresh new eyes. Some of you have already read, read this passage many, many years ago and many times. I want you to read this now with a fresh new perspective. Are you ready? Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. Okay, let's go to our Bibles. If you've got your physical Bibles, join me as you open your, your Bible to Matthew chapter 27, verse 27. It says that at the break of dawn on Good Friday, some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. Verse 28, they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery. Somebody say mockery. And taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. Verse 31, when they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. I'm going to stop here and I'm going to ask you to sit in a few, for a few moments, but let's pray. Can you bow down your heads? Feel God's presence all over this place. Father, we thank you for this word. We believe that it's alive and active right now and we believe that once you plant this word in our heart, it will stir something inside of us that will not just inspire us, not just give us good vibes, but it will move us into action because that's what we really want. If we don't act on your word, Father, it's meaningless. It doesn't have a point. But we want to not just be a hearer, we want to become a doer. And so move in us right now, Jesus, as we dine and feast on your wisdom today. This is our prayer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people say, Amen. One more time, everybody lift up your hands. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Give the Lord a big hand, everybody. Praise Him today. You can take your seats. Thank you so much. One more time, say to somebody beside you, God wants to love through you. So we are visiting this part of the story where we're experiencing what Jesus is experiencing. And, you know, everything that they were doing at this point, they had one goal. When they stripped down Jesus with his clothes and put a robe on him, put a crown over his head and gave him this reed stick, they had one goal. You want to know what the goal was? Ask me what. It was to mock him. Somebody say mock. It was to humiliate Jesus and to call him somehow a phony king. But you know what? There was nothing kingly about this whole situation. Because I mean, think about it for a moment. A king is loved by his subjects. Am I right? A king is respected by his people. A king is protected by his nation. Every nation in the world will do anything to protect their leader, protect their president, protect their emperor, protect their, their prime minister. People love protecting their king. But there's just something so different about this king of the Jews in the sense that instead of being loved, he was hated. Instead of being celebrated and, 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 and appreciated, he was humiliated. What was Jesus doing? Why was Jesus allowing this? You want to know why? Here's my little theory, okay? I believe that Jesus was showing the whole world, and he's still doing this right now, that Jesus is showing you and me what a real king looks like. A real king will protect his people even if they are loyal or disloyal to him. It doesn't matter. A real king is willing to, to sacrifice. Somebody say sacrifice. A real king is willing to sacrifice his comfort, his convenience, and ultimately even his life for his subjects. Can I get an amen? In fact, you can write this down if you're taking notes. If you want to learn how to be a real king, a real leader at least in your own right, here's what you need to do. You cannot lead people unless you're willing to bleed for people. Somebody shout amen. So Jesus in a way is, is teaching us. He's teaching us. We're in a teaching mode right now. He's showing you and me what a real leader looks like. 
And let make no mistake, a real leader leads by example. Right now, we are on a very relevant time where we're looking for leaders in our country. I want you to know that a real leader leads by example. A real leader does not excuse himself or herself from what? From carrying the cross. If anything, a real leader will be the first one to carry a cross, right? Jesus was never, when I studied, when you study the life of Jesus, he was never about control and coercion. Uh uh. Jesus never coerced anybody to pray 24 hours a day. Jesus never, never asked you to do certain things that he did. What did he do? Jesus was all about example and invitation. He set the way, he paved the path, and then he says, Follow me. You want joy? You want peace? You want love? You want purpose? Come follow me. But Jesus never coerced anybody to do that. Let's continue. Are you learning anything so far? Okay. So something happens. While Jesus was carrying the cross, in verse 32, it says that along the way, they came across a man named Simon. Everybody say Simon. Who was from Cyrene, and the soldiers forced him to carry the cross of Jesus. Now, I want you to know that Simon is a tourist. How do I know that? Because he's Simon of Cyrene. He's Simon from Cyrene, not Simon of Jerusalem. He was visiting Jerusalem because it was the Passover. So he was literally passing over. But then he comes across this man, the condemned man named Jesus. And, you know, I can imagine if I was Simon, I wouldn't want to be associated with somebody who was condemned, somebody carrying a cross. I wanted to stay away from him. But, you know, the Romans had their way. They coerced him, they forced him, and eventually Simon helped Jesus. There's a connection right here. There is a connection right here. God has been weaving this moment for all of us to witness. Do you want to know what the connection is? Let me give you a, a clue, okay? Simon helped Jesus. Let me say it again. Simon helped Jesus. Do you see the connection? Do you see the connection? Anybody? No, you don't. Unless you read the talk. <laughs> you don't because otherwise you'd be ex as excited as I am. Let me give you the, the, the connection, okay? Remember that now we have got two Simons in the New Testament. Two Simons in the New Testament. There's Simon Peter, who once upon a time said a few chapters before this, who said that he was going to be there for Jesus the moment Jesus needed him the most. But we all know how that part ended. And then now we're introduced to Simon of Cyrene, who was actually there when Jesus needed somebody the most. Listen to me. In this world, there are two kinds of Simon. How many? Two. There is the Simon who likes to make big, loud, noisy promises, but when it really matters the most, he's nowhere to be seen. He's run away. But thank God, there is another kind of Simon. A Simon who is insecure. A Simon who is afraid. But in the end, he's the one who actually ends up carrying the cross. Now, I want you to ask yourself this question. Which Simon am I? Can you tell somebody beside you, which Simon are you? Come on, tell it to the person beside you. Which Simon are you? Are you the Simon who likes to make promises? but never keeps his promise? Or are you the kind of Simon who didn't have any plans, said no, but eventually did what he was called to do? I want you to remember this is a parable that Jesus preached, the parable of the two sons. The master of the field told his two sons, go to the vineyard. The first son said, no, I don't want to. I got some plans, dad. But eventually he did what the dad said. But the second son said, yeah, I'll do it. But he didn't go. So which one are you? What's the difference between these two? Okay, let me just simplify, all right? The difference between both is that the first Simon, the first son, likes to show off. You know any people like that? They like showing off. They like making promises in public, but they don't deliver. The first Simon likes to show off, but the second Simon is the one who actually shows up. Somebody shout, show up. You know, sometimes the bravest thing that you can do in this world is to show up. Even if you're unsure, a real leader will show up, even if they're afraid. Are there any parents here right now? Raise your hand if you're a parent. Parents, 
Whether you're, even if you're online, give me a virtual hands up. A real parent knows how to show up, even if they're insecure, even if they don't know what they're doing. A real friend knows how to show up, even if it's inconvenient. Show up. Let me end with this story and then I'll read the rest of the passage and I'll call our next preacher. I've been praying if I should tell you this story, but the Spirit of the Lord compelled me to do this and I hope that you, 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 you take this with, with, with the grace of God. But, you know, many months ago, I was talking to a group of friends of mine, good friends, and we, we started talking about politics. You know, politics is a hard subject to talk about nowadays. And let me just suggest this. If you're going to talk politics with friends, make sure that you know how to respect people. You don't have to disagree, meaning, sorry, you can disagree without hating each other as long as you have respect. So I was talking to this, 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 this group of friends, and all of a sudden, we started talking about politics, and we started talking about our candidates and, and who you should vote for. There was this one guy who passionately, and I mean passionately, started proclaiming who we should vote for. Name points and inputs and insights and, and you know we, we were just listening in and we started giving our own input, inputs as well and then the conversation turned a little differently when one of our friends asked the question so randomly he says so where are you voting what precinct are you registered in and, and this friend of ours he was so passionate he's like I'm not registered <laughs> and we're like you're not registered? No, no, no. I'm not registered. I'm not voting. And one of my friends, he says this. He says, you mean after all this time you've been talking about this candidate, you're not even going to vote for him? Why in the world are we even listening to you? And to paraphrase this, okay, this might sound a little unchristian, a little unloving, but it's got good wisdom, so let me share it with you. This is how I received it. It was as though he was saying, if you're not even going to show up, you might as well just shut up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, before, before, before anything, see, if all we do, let me preach this, if all we do is just complain and badmouth and comment and backstab, but without actually doing anything, not even to change yourself and ask God to change you from the inside out. Let me tell you this. We're not part of the solution. We're part of the problem. Do you want to follow Jesus? Who wants to follow Jesus? Come on, raise your hand if you want to follow Jesus. Then show up. Show up. Show up in your relationships. Show up in your marriage. Show up in your kid's life. Show up in your organization. Show up in the ministries that God has called you into. Show up in the places where God has called you to show up. And the moment you show up, do what God tells you to do. Or else, just shut up. <laughs> Somebody say amen. Come on, clap your hands right now. Don't leave me hanging here. We're going to continue reading the rest of the passage and then I will pass you on to our loving friend, Brother Bo. Verse 39, it says, The people passing by shouted abuse and they started shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the Son of God, save yourselves and come down from the cross. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Then Jesus shouted again and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook. Rocks split apart and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. In verse 54, the Roman officer and the other soldiers of the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and, what, and all that had happened. And they said, this man truly was the Son of God. Let's give a big hand to God's Word today. Say it one more time to the person beside you. God wants to speak through you. Amen. Why don't we all welcome our dear, dear friend, our spiritual mentor, Brother Bo. Sanchez, everybody, come on, give him some love. Amen. Amen. Give a big hand to Audi Villarasa. Thank you. You are a gift. I am going to do something I've never done before. I recorded my talk 
the major part of the talk. The reason is this, I could not fit everything I wanted to do. I wanted to say to you, if I was gonna stand here and give the talk live, so I recorded the talk, you're gonna hear the major part of the talk recorded. You're gonna understand why I did this while you're watching the video, and then I'm gonna come back on stage again and close the talk with some personal stories. Enjoy. Hi, with your permission, I would like to do some theology with you. <laughs> In other words, we're gonna go really deep right now, but you see, I really wanna do it. This is like burning deep inside. I'll tell you why. Because your picture of God is at stake. I'm sure you've heard this from me before. You become who you worship. And so that's why I really, really want to do this with you. And then later on, as the talk proceeds, you will understand, oh, it's no wonder Brother Bo really wanted to do this, even if it's deep. Let me ask you this question. Have you noticed that there are some people who are religious and have been religious for many, many years, but they remain to be some of the most judgmental people you know? Like they look down at other people, they condemn other people, they actually hate a lot of people in God's name. Now, many times, the root cause is their picture of God. It's distorted. And when you're, when, you, listen to me, when you have a distorted image of God, you live a distorted life. And can I give you a second reason why I want to do theology with you today? Because I believe that you can handle it. The feast is a thinking community. And so today, there are three questions, hard questions, I want to answer. Are you ready? Here they are. Number one, when people ask me, Brother Bo, I don't understand how Jesus died for my sins. I, mean, I know he died, but how could he die for my sins? Question number two, can't God just forgive me without Jesus dying on the cross? I mean, he's God. Third question, how can you follow a God who kills his own son? To answer these questions, we need to look at the past 2,000 years in our history and see that there were many models trying to explain why Jesus had to die. Now, let me share with you the three major ones. Please understand that all three models agree on one thing. What's that? The crucifixion is God's most eloquent expression of his love for us. If you ask God, how much do you love me? God will stretch out his arms and tell you this much. And he dies on the cross. So here's the, here's the question again. Why did he have to die? First model, it's called ransom. The guy who wrote this, much about it, is a guy by the name of Origen, second century AD. Brilliant Bible scholar, church father. In theology, this is called ransom theory. Let me try to explain it in a few words. Because we sinned against God, we sold ourselves to the devil. So now the devil owns us. He held the certificate of ownership of our soul. And the devil asked God, you want to buy, buy these people back? Buy them with your death. And God brought, bought us back. He purchased us back with the death of Jesus on the cross. And do you know that for a, for, for a thousand years, this was the predominant theory until another one came along. The second model is called exchange. And the guy who wrote about it, his name is Saint Anselm of Canterbury, 11th century AD. Let me paraphrase what, what his message was. He basically said, guys, nah, the devil could not have owned us. 
You're giving him too much credit. He's a defeated foe. No, the payment was not to the devil. The payment was to God the Father. And by the way, this exchange model has two versions. The first version was called the satisfaction theory. Here's the gist. When we sin, we don't honor God. So we owe God honor. Jesus honored God so much by his obedience on the cross, his surplus paid for the deficit. <laughs> Did you get that? So what's the difference between ransom and exchange model? Let me repeat. In the ransom model, the death of Jesus was a payment to the devil. In the exchange model, the death of Jesus was payment to the Father. Now, this is the predominant model used in the Catholic Church today, the satisfaction model. It's simple and it's powerful. But 500 years later, the model took on a more punitive orientation. The next one is the predominant model used in Protestant, evangelical, born-again churches. What's it called? It's called the penal substitution. John Calvin, um, 16th century, one of the pioneers of Protestantism, was the first guy who wrote extensively about the model. To this day, you, you, get, you get this theory in the you know, little pamphlets I, I was given when I was a kid, uh, the four spiritual laws. Um, it starts this way. All men have sinned, Romans 3.23. The payment of sin is death, Romans 6.23. And according to this theory, all sin is equal because every sin is against God. I'll give you an example. I go to my next door, next door neighbor and then I slap him. What does he do? Maybe he'll slap me back. I go to the barangay captain and I slap him. You know, what will happen to me? I don't know. I go to the chief of police. I slap him. What do you think? Will he just slap me back and that's it? Mm, probably not. You know, now my punishment will go higher because the rank goes higher. What if I go to the president of the United States and I say, hi, Mr. President, and slap? <laughs> what will they do? Will they slap me back? Mm, probably I'll spend some time in jail, right? Now, why? Because the rank goes higher. Now, what if I go to God, an eternal being? Therefore, every sin, according to this logic, is an eternal sin. And therefore, therefore needs eternal punishment. So, think with me. According to this model, God must punish sin. His justice requires it. So, He can't forgive us with just a snap of the finger. No, no, no. Someone has to pay. And that someone has to be an eternal being also to pay for our eternal sin. We cannot pay for our sin. That eternal being is Jesus. And so he dies in my place so that I don't have to die. Now, I want you to know the logic is clear, very rigorous. Um, but I personally, through the years of following the Lord, I found the model had, had some... Some things I could not wrap my fingers around. It was problematic. I'll tell you why. Here was my question. Does God's justice really demand the death of his son? And, and some preachers will say, of course. Some preachers will go to the extent and say, God's wrath has to be satisfied. But you know, when I hear those words, honestly, it reminds me too much of Molech, the pagan god of the Canaanites, it was an idol made of iron, and its belly was a fiery oven. Its arms, flaming red, stretched out, ready to receive child sacrifices. And worshippers actually threw their crying babies to this idol, burning them to death. Do you know that the Old Testament, the Torah, condemned the horrors of this idolatry? For years, can I be honest with you? For years, I struggled with these nagging questions. And I asked myself, if I stop believing in this model, will I still be Catholic? Oh gosh, you can imagine my relief when Pope Benedict himself, the man for, for 24 years was the Vatican's doctrinal gatekeeper. 
He also questioned this model in his book, The Introduction to Christianity. This is what he wrote. I'll quote. It is an unworthy concept of God to imagine a God who demands the slaughter of his son to pacify his wrath. God must not be thought of in this way. Such a concept of God has nothing to do with the idea of God to be found in the New Testament. My dear friends, the penal substitution model seems to get its inspiration from the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament where an animal had to die for God to forgive. But was this really what the Bible was saying? Because the Old Testament itself, the book of Psalms, you, you know what it says? You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Psalms 51, that's what it says. So, can God forgive us for our sins without dying on the cross? That's still the question. Here's my answer. Look at Jesus in the Gospels. When Jesus was confronted with the adulterous woman, he forgave her on the spot. No substitution required. Same thing with the Samaritan woman, the paralyzed man, and Zacchaeus. Jesus declared in the house of Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this household. In the story of the prodigal son, did the father ask for a substitute before he forgave and welcomed back his son? Jesus, he also asks us to forgive seven times seven. 70 times 77, right? No punishment or substitution required because he himself doesn't require any. So, if there's something that you need to please remember in this talk, it would be my next statement. Are you ready? All three models are languages of love. They're... There are human attempts to capture the uncapturable, to comprehend the incomprehensible. All three models are trying to express in feeble, feeble, awkward human language, the depth and height and weight of God's love. If they're languages of love, you must not take them too literally. Please. If I go to Maru and I tell her, Fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter or Mars. What, what does that mean? Do I literally say, hey, sweetheart, let's talk to Elon Musk. Let's borrow his rocket ship because that's what you're doing to me. You're making me, we have to go to the moon and we've got to play among the stars. No, of course not. Don't take it literally. You know what, what I mean by all those flowery words? The song says it. In other words, hold my hand. In other words, darling, kiss me. That's what it means. <laughs> you know, in theology, the problem comes when legalists try to explain poetry. So all the previous models, all three of them are valid images of the death of Jesus. We can pray with passion. What do we pray? Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins, provided we don't take the penal substitution model too literally. By the way, there's one more model and, and I believe it's what we need to hear in modern times. But it's not new. It's ancient. In fact, I believe it's the, this model that I'm going to share with you now, it's the earliest understanding of the death of Jesus. Christians in the first, second century saw the death of Jesus in this very simple way. The third model is called calling. The cross is a call to discipleship. Many Christians in the first, as I said, 200 years, didn't see the crucifixion of Jesus as penal substitution. They saw the crucifixion as his call for them to follow him, to live and die like Jesus, to also lay down their life for God and for others. In the cross, they hear two messages from God. First, they hear God say, I love you. 
I'm willing to die for you. And second message, they hear God say, follow me, imitate me. In fact, the cross and the broken bread say the same message. Do this in memory of me is not only telling us to celebrate mass. Do this in memory of me means to actively break your life as bread to feed the hungry. So how does this apply in daily life? Because Jesus is calling us to daily martyrdom. You know, after being married for 23 years, I have now a definition for what a great husband means. Are you ready? <laughs> Here it is. A great husband is someone who apologizes to his wife when he does something wrong and apologizes to his wife when she does something wrong. <laughs> I'm joking, but just a little bit. Because if you hurt your wife, whether it's your fault or not, whether it's intentional or not, if you hurt your wife, you apologize, period. You do not argue with her emotions. A great husband is a dead husband. He dies each day to his own needs for his beloved. That's why I have an amazing marriage because both of us, my, my, my wife and I, we died to ourselves for the sake of the other. Do you know that parenting is the same way? Some of the happiest moments of my life are, you know, when my sons were tiny little munchkins and I'd go home extremely tired from work and all I wanted to do was crash in bed and just sleep. But no, when, you, when I land at home, those, those two little boys would run up, they'd hug me and daddy, can we play? And so for an hour, I have to sit on the floor with them. We play Pokemon and, you know, and then bedtime stories. And then I'd read one story too. And then, and I'll always hear those be that beautiful line, Daddy, oh, one story, please. One more story. And, and there, great parents are martyrs. So I just like to repeat this. If all crucifixion, if all what the cross crucifixion gives us are just religious goosebumps and tears of guilt. We're missing the point. The crucifixion must push us to lay down our life for others. Here's what Pope Francis said. The Christian cross is not something to hang in the house or an ornament to wear, but a call to love. Say it again with me. Are you ready? God wants to love through me. God bless you. So now we need to take a vote. Sana ko mas guapo sa video o sa... I want you to know that I am so blessed because I live in this community called Light of Jesus, the Feast. And I live amidst martyrs. Martyrs. Everywhere I look, are people who have decided to answer the call of discipleship. When the Omicron surge was blasting throughout the city, the country, the drug stores were like box office hits, may pila. Paracetamol was gone, basic drugs were gone. My friend Monching Bueno was able to get a stash of medicines from a pharmacy from a pharmaceutical company, gets on his bike, puts on two masks, his helmet, and drives, bikes around the city giving medicine to our sick feasters. What do you call that? <laughs> he did a crazy thing. He was a martyr. Joy Cabrillas, head nurse of Anawim, every week drives the Muddy roads to Anawim with her husband, Obed. Serves the lawless and the lawless. You know, when COVID hit, half of, of, of the lawless there and, and then the staff were all sick and her presence and her wisdom was there. You know, she was doing it without getting any pay. Walang sueldo. We were telling her, get your salary. Ayaw niya. She would always say, serving God is my blessing. We had to threaten her with the wrath of God for her to get her salary. Martyrs in our midst. Jason Vergara, 
our missionary in the Visayas, already built 70 feast lights among the poor, especially poor children in unreachable places. This year, he plans to build 16 more. When I had COVID, my doctor was Dido Ilubaton. And he was someone who would monitor me every single day, every hour. He would visit me. At that time, my family in our house, 14 of us had COVID. And he would go in. And he would take care of me. Weeks later, I found out that he was caring for hundreds of sick feasters who also had COVID. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. Not only was he a martyr, his wife was a martyr. Can you imagine you as Mayi, your husband comes home, just visited people with COVID. You have two kids at home. She was also a martyr. Can I invite you to stand? John Escoto expanded our prison ministry. Together with his team, they lead hundreds upon hundreds of feast lights in prisons all over Luzon. 4,500 prisoners are listening to the Word of God because of all their efforts. They literally are obeying Jesus when He said, visit the prisoners. You know, if you will not stop me, but of course you have to stop me. I'll go over time. I can spend the whole day with you talking about this martyr and that martyr and that martyr because I'm surrounded by people who have said yes to the call of discipleship. One more. No more picture. Hermie Morelos. 65 years old, stepped down from all that he was doing for the light of Jesus. We thanked him. And then he tells me, Brother Bo, gusto ko pa mag-serve. Don't pay me anything. I, I just want to serve until, until I die. And so I told Hermie, Sige, I'll give you a small job. Just maliit lang. Can you oversee all our ministries for the poor? Anna Wim, Grace to be Born, Jeremiah, Pag-asa ng Pamilya. And that's what he's doing. Today, I want you to think about Jesus on the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Make that sign of the cross again. Every time you make of the sign of the cross, you're thinking of Jesus dying on the cross for you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. This Jesus says to you, I love you. I love you. And I died for you. My mission required to build a kingdom in this world and the world did not want it and it put me to death. But I still went through my mission because I wanted to tell you that I love you. And now I call you, come, follow me. And through you, I will build my kingdom in this world. Through you, I will love. Will you say yes? Jesus is here. And as we come into worship, I invite you to let Jesus come in. Let Jesus come in. Make Him the Lord of your life. He is the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. He is the one 
He is the one. Who buys us, purchases us from the devil. He is the one who sacrifices and obeys with so much surplus. He transfers his credits. And gives it to the Father. And He is the one who sheds His blood so that our sins will be washed and forgiven. May I invite you to lift up your hands as a symbol of that you are accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. And everybody say, Jesus, I receive you into my heart. Take over. Be my King. Be my Lord. From this day forth, follow you all the days of my life forgive me for all my sins transform me change me give me new life in Jesus name amen and amen thank you Lord Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Subscribe to Feast Radio and open yourself to God's grace. For more podcasts like these, visit feast.ph radio.